All right, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 21 through 31. Continuing in our series, Victory from Defeat. And David came to the 200 men, which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial of those that went with David and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, Ye shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us, who hath preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. And when David came to Ziklag, he sent of the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To them which were in Bethel, and to them which were in South Ramoth, and to them which were in Jatar, and to them which were in Aurora, and to them which were in Shifmoth, and to them which were in Eshtemoa, and to them which were in Rachel, and to them which were in cities of Geramelites, and to them which were in the cities of the Kenites, and to them which were in Horma, and to them which were in Korashan, and to them which were in Atek, and to them which were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were wont to haunt. As we said, we're con uh, continuing our series, Victory from Defeat. In fact, we're concluding this series today with the fourth part. But let me just review for a moment. Remember by this time, uh, at least the time of the story here in our text, David and his men had been on the run for some six years fleeing from Saul. Saul had a desire. Saul wanted to kill David because of jealousy and fear of this man. This particular event finds them returning to the city of Ziklag after being gone for three days. Ziklag was a city that was given to them by the Philistine king Achish. And that was their home. That was their home base that they operated out of during this time. But when they returned back to Ziklag, they found it had been burned, their families had been taken, and all their possessions were captured by an Amalekite marauding band. And as a result, the men were greatly discouraged. As we saw in the first part of this chapter, the, the men were so discouraged that they wept, they were brokenhearted, and they were as those without strength. And yet we find in this, David encouraged himself in the Lord. We have in this passage of Scripture a lesson for us that we might learn how to obtain victory from defeat. In fact, we said there are four lessons here in this that make up this great passage for us. Verses 1 through 8, we learn the lesson of prayer in the midst of pain. Verses 9 through 15, we learn of compassion in the midst of conflict. Verses 16 through 20, we saw obedience in the midst of opposition. And today, we finish up with this fourth of these lessons, graciousness in the midst of greed. 
Notice three things with me this morning as we begin with verse 21 seeing David comforted the weak. And David came to the 200 men, which were uh, so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Besor. And they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. I believe because David had benefited so greatly from the goodness of God and the graciousness of others, it's no surprise to see how David treated these men in this passage this morning. He showed kindness to those men who had remained behind. How do we know that? Well, we see joy and rejoicing over the recovery of these people's families and possessions. David and his men made their way back to where these, this group had been left. Remember, David had 600 men with him when they started their pursuit of the Amalekites. 200 were so weak, they had to be left behind. And 400 went on and finished the task. They've made their way back to this group now. And notice David's attitude toward them. These people rushed out to meet him. They were glad. By now they were refreshed. By now they had regained their strength. And as they met David, they saw David coming, they met him in a way and rejoiced in his return. And notice David's attitude toward these people. He neither rebuked them, he neither spoke condescendingly toward them, nor did he speak to them with scorn. No, he didn't criticize them for staying behind. He didn't say the battle would have been easier had they had the strength to join him. Nor did he discount their importance to him as his followers. No, he greeted them with a joyful heart. Notice the last phrase in this verse 21. He saluted them. That word salute carries a sense of both greeting and inquiry. He was concerned as to their condition and how they were, and he as well greeted them, letting them know he was glad to see them. He demonstrated genuine concern for these men in the way he approached them. Why? Because the Lord had given them a wonderful victory that day, and as a result, David wanted these men as well to share in the blessings and joy of knowing what God had wrought among them. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. You see, David was reminded of the way he was treated when he was in need, when he was on the run, when he was fleeing for his life. And David was glad to see these men and as a result treated them the way he had been treated through the years. What a great lesson we see here in this, the idea of comforting those who are in need. These men, no doubt, had to deal with the idea of guilt, had to deal with the idea that they were left behind, had to deal with the fact that they could not go into battle and fight side by side with their comrades. So these men no doubt had emotional struggles that they had to deal with, but yet David didn't make an issue of that. David loved them and was glad to see them. Hebrews 13.1 reminds us, let brotherly love continue. All how we as God's children ought to demonstrate kindness and compassion toward others and be willing to comfort those who are in need. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 8 says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 who comforteth us in all our tribulation, 
that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. That would be a great verse to underline if you do make notations in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 1.4. Let me read it again. Why do we go through struggles? God, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Paul is writing the believers in Corinth saying, we go through struggles and trials. God comforts us. He encourages us. He strengthens us in the way. And we in turn ought to show encouragement and comfort to others that are going through those same struggles. We go through things not just for the sake of going through them for our own benefit, but as well that we might be a help and encouragement to others. Someone has said, sometimes he quiets the storms in our lives, and sometimes he allows them to rage. But regardless of the weather, he always calms and comforts his children. And certainly that is true. David followed the example of our Lord in offering comfort and encouragement to these men. But notice also verses 22 through 25. He not only comforted the weak, but he corrected the wicked. I'm not going to read all three of these verses again, or four verses again. I just read them, but notice verse 22. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart." We remember from last week, David and his men were able to recover everything that had been taken from them from the city of Ziklag. They got all of their family members back. They got all of their possessions back. And as well, they gained a great deal more based on what the Amalekites had taken from other regions during their campaign. And as a result, David and his men brought back to their city a great amount of spoil, of wealth. And yet these men... Selfish as they were, said, we're the ones that bore the heat of the battle. We're the ones that put our necks on the line. We're the ones that are going to benefit from all the extra bounty here. David sought to set them straight. Though he demonstrated a spirit of compassion and acceptance, once again, it didn't exist in the hearts of all his men. There was opposition and covetousness within the hearts of some of those men, and they were troublemakers. Not everybody that says they're following the Lord is on the same side. We need to be mindful that just because we have a group of people together who say they love God, it's what's going on in our heart and how we live that demonstrates our love to the Lord. And when one chooses to follow the heart of covetousness and greed, it's going to come out through their speech and through their actions. And that's exactly what happened here. Because in verse 22, they're, they're identified as wicked men and men of Belial. This phrase, men of Belial, it was a common expression of the time, and it denotes the sour, the rugged, the harsh... And the profane, it speaks of those who were pretty much rough around the edges. It speaks of those who chose to side with David, but didn't necessarily agree all the time with David. Remember when we considered the fact that they found the Egyptian on the side of the road? 
and how some didn't want to waste any time with him. But after all, it turned out to be a blessing because that man was able to give them information beneficial to their journey. Well, now David again wants to show compassion and not everybody's on the same side. Not everybody's on the same page. Not everybody's in agreement with this. Someone has said, we'll never understand effects by ignoring causes. The cause for the problem here is these men were greedy and they felt they deserved more because they saw themselves as doing more in relation to the battle. Another writer has stated to swear is wicked because it is taking God's name in vain. To complain is likewise wicked for it takes God's promises in vain. You see, God promised to return to them what was taken. God promised to give them the victory. And these men are now complaining because they forgot who was the one that was in charge. Nevertheless, David intervened and demonstrated a strong spirit of wisdom and justice in dealing with these people and he made two declarations to them. Number one, the victory is the Lord's. And we need to be mindful that when we win a victory in service of the Lord, it's because of how he works in our lives. It's what he has done in and through us, not that we're something special or something great. These men followed David into battle because God told them to go and they experienced victory because God promised he would give it to them. Beloved, we are more than conquerors through Christ. When we're on the side of Christ, we form a majority. And it's not because of how many we bring with us. No, it's because the Lord. You realize God against everybody else, he's still the majority. Here, David reminded these men that the victory was the Lord's and therefore the plunder, that which they gained, was a gift from him. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights. Everything that we have today, we have received of the Lord. It was the Lord and Him alone who protected these men, directed them, and gave them the victory. The second thing David reminds these men of is the task of the supply soldier was just as vital and important as that of the combat soldier. Logistics, supply. Communication, clerical, food services, mechanics, all of these things go together in enabling an armed force to win the battle. When we think of combat, we think of those in the front lines, and rightly so. They are certainly putting their life on the line. But everybody who is a part of their force, everybody who is a part of their army, is working together for the purpose of winning the battle and winning the war. When God's saints serve together, we are rewarded together. Our problem is that we underestimate the value of every participant in the Lord's work. Let me put it this way. As I stand here this morning as your pastor, I am no more important to this congregation and to the Lord than any of you. We are a part of the body of Christ. We serve the Lord together. And we can't take this attitude, or we need to be careful not to have this attitude of lifting up one higher than another, saying, he's better, she's more important, they're more talented, therefore they are more valuable to the Lord than everyone else. No, it doesn't work that way in the eyes of God. God's not a respecter of persons. He counts us as equal co-workers in service of the Lord. 
Let me have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a lengthy passage, but I want you to be aware of what the scripture is saying here in this area of the body of Christ and how we work together in this matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. I'm going to take time to read through this morning. We can see what Paul is saying to emphasize this matter of how we all serve together and are all of equal importance to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, excuse me, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Here you go. Body's not about one person, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where is the body? And now are they many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again to the head, the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow much more abundant honor. And our comely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Paul goes on to say more about this subject, but the idea here is clear. Christ is the head, the church is the body. God places us in the body as it pleaseth him. We each have gifts, strengths, abilities, and all of those things that God gives us are used in connection with one another so that we might together serve the Lord and accomplish His will here. Every one of us are equally important in the eyes of the Lord. This is a message David sought to get across to these men. If we're going to experience victory from defeat, we must understand Victory comes from the Lord, and we ought to look to others and be compassionate to others and generous toward others in the midst of those blessings that God sends our way. Yes, David corrected the misunderstanding of these men. He set them straight because he knew the problem. He knew what was going on in their hearts, and he addressed it and let them know that this is really a victory given to us by the Lord, not because you men are such good fighters, not because you're so renowned in warfare, but it's because God gave us the victory. And by the way, every victory we experience as Christians in this life Come to us because of God's goodness to us. Notice the third thing here in verses 26 through 31. He contributed the wealth. See, not only did he comfort the weak, 
those that stayed behind. Not only did he correct the wicked in setting them straight and helping them to understand how everybody fits together and works together, he contributed the wealth they had gained. Verse 26, And when David came to Ziklag, he sent the spoil unto the elders of Judah, even to his friends, saying, Behold, a present for you of the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. I'm not going to read again these following verses, but we see here some 15 specific locations mentioned. You see, when David arrived back in Ziklag, his generosity continued to shine brightly as he did more than just show generosity to those men who stayed by this stuff, who stood their ground waiting for David to return. No, his diplomatic masterstroke here was to return the properties taken from the Judean villages around them that the Amalekites had gained when they plundered those cities as well. So David said, we have regained what we lost. I want to make sure these other villages regain what they have lost at the hand of the enemy. So he returns all those goods to them. And what a stroke of genius that was. Because he was, in a way, in fact, many of these cities that are mentioned were where folks lived who helped David during his time of fleeing from Saul. So he was able to repay a kindness that was shown to him He was able to give back to those who had given him. Oh, it wasn't a debt that he was repaying, but he was showing them generosity for their graciousness. He was returning good for good. And beloved, it never, never, never hurts to be generous with others. David found himself on the run for a long time. And people were good to him along the way. David remembered them and rewarded them. He sent gifts to a large number of these cities. But how interesting to note how it played into what would take place over the next few years in the history of Israel. For three days later, he would receive word of the death of Saul at the hand of the Philistines. And then a short while thereafter he would be named the next king. And no doubt the kindness that he showed these people helped to win over their love and appreciation for him. And as a result of his being named king, these folks gladly rallied around him and supported him in that role. As you read 2 Samuel chapters 1 and 2 and you see how all this plays out, I believe that God rewarded David greatly for his generosity more than just in a financial way. Beloved, it's good to see God provide for us financially, but all when he does so much more for us. It's wonderful to see his hand at work in our lives. And we ought to be grateful for that when he does. Luke chapter 6 Verse 31, Jesus declares here, And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love Ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. 
for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Then drop down to verse 38. This scripture says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. God recognizes our generosity and rewards us accordingly. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2 declares, How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And 2 Corinthians 9, 6, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Oh, we should never, never be greedy and treat others unfairly. If we're greedy, we seek more and more, banking and hoarding what we have. But a greedy heart is consumed by lust, the lust of more pleasure, the lust of more comfort, the lust of more possessions, wealth, recognition, fame, position, power. A greedy heart often mistreats others. David demonstrated how to have a generous heart and to be gracious to others. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Ecclesiastes 5.10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Proverbs 16.16, Solomon wrote, How much better it is to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. I don't believe the friends and followers of David ever forgot his kindness, his concern for them. And when it came time for him to be declared king, I believe he had their full support. How important it is to demonstrate kindness to others to be generous, to be compassionate, to be understanding, and demonstrate care. Russell Bell once said, giving is a grace, and not giving is a disgrace. Amy Carmichael, great missionary servant of the Lord from the late 1800s all the way up to 1950, she said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. David knew how to experience victory from defeat. And we can as well by following these four simple lessons. Prayer in the midst of pain. Compassion in the midst of conflict. Obedience in the midst of opposition. And graciousness in the midst of greed. Let me close with this illustration. One of the heroes of the American Revolution was Marquis de Lafayette. This French officer provided invaluable assistance to George Washington and the struggling American army in this conflict with the British. After the war was over, he returned to France and resumed his life as a farmer. In 1783, the harvest was a terrible one. There were many who suffered as a result. But Lafayette, who at this time had many farms were unaffected by the devastating crop failures. And as a result, he had a tremendous harvest. One of his workers came to him and said, the harvest is bad and has raised the price of wheat. This is the time to sell. 
And after thinking about the hungry around him and surrounding villages, Lafayette disagreed and said, no, this is the time to give. You see, God blesses us not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of others. The tendency to hoard and to try to build up more and more is a dangerous one. And the best solution to greed is to be a generous giver. There's certainly no shortage of people in need today. And we need to use wisdom in determining who we will choose to help. Because you can't help everyone. However, I believe God will richly bless those who are generous and kind and gracious to others. And offer aid to them in time of need. This last thought. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give.